The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. We're continuing this summer through the book of Acts, which records the history of the early church after the ascension of Jesus. Last week, one of the observations that Pastor Ken Curry made from Acts 18 was that was about when Priscilla and Aquila, relatively ordinary, tent-making Christians, kind of simple people, had the occasion to teach a basic gospel truth to the eloquent gospel preacher Apollos. <laughs> so it, when it had come clear that Apollos lacked a basic aspect of the new covenant, the gospel, Regarding the gift of the promised Holy Spirit, Apollos and, uh, or excuse me, Aquila and Priscilla drew Apollos aside and taught him what he was missing. And from that account, Ken drew out this observation. The most seemingly exceptional among us can grow in our knowledge of the gospel with help from the most seemingly normal among us. And you argued that you were normal and that's probably true of most of us, right? <laughs> so just a, a great observation from Ken there about gospeling each other. Now this morning in Acts 19, we return our focus to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, who has now traveled to the city of Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem. And our text gives us a glimpse of how God greatly blessed Paul's ministry, Paul's gospel ministry in Ephesus, such that he stayed there over two years, exalting the name of Jesus. God, through the ministry of the apostle Paul, as he brings the word of the Lord to the people of Ephesus, exalts the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. You know what the name of Jesus, the the name of Jesus is, when we talk about, you know, uh, we just say it. Your great name, your great name. We're we're praising who Jesus is and what he has done and who and all that he promises to be. His name is is just not like like you know, just not like Kenny. It's it's his it's his person and his work and and all that he is and all of his glory. Then the name of Jesus being exalted is to be is to say that Jesus is being worshipped for who he is and who he promises to be and all that he's done. So so this is this is great. This is a great text. Uh, before we look at it, let me just pray that God would exalt the name of Jesus among us. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is lift up the name of Jesus among us, that he might stand out as our only hope for redemption and our only hope against the powers of darkness and and our only hope against the power of the sin that is in us and the sin that is in our world and our only hope of joy in our being reconciled to you now and forever. So lift up the name of Jesus. Exalt the name of Jesus now for the glory of your name and for the glory of his name among us and for our joy, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, the city of Ephesus is a large, influential city. It's, again, another city of commerce. It's across the Mediterranean Sea to the east of Athens. It's located in in what's now modern Turkey. And most prominently, Ephesus was known at the time as the guardian of the temple of Artemis. Uh, Artemis being this goddess, also called Diana, And the temple that was built there, this temple of Artemis, was named as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Let me just give you a couple descriptions of it. The foundation of the temple still exists today. It had, now get this, 127 60-foot high marble pillars that held up the roof. It held up the, the, the ceiling and the ornate roof. The temple was home to the worship of the multi-breasted image, the idol of Artemis, the goddess of fertility. It also contained a treasury in which the kings, of the, the kings and the peoples of the nations would bring their valuables to be stored. It was a place of worship of idols and the occult and paganism. That's Ephesus. I I really do want you to keep your Bibles open because I'm going to keep going back to Acts 19, reading different chunks along the way this morning. So now the summary statement of the passage that, that Zach just read is in verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So what was God doing through Paul in bringing the word of the Lord to, to uh, Ephesus? The, the, God was causing his word to increase and prevail mightily. And, the, and Jesus was exalted all along the way. And what I want you to see, this will be my outline, is four instances of how the name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus in our text. God is exalting Jesus' name in these four ways. I, I can say them with, with just one word on each of the four points, or I, I can say them with a sentence. I'll give you the one-word version. Number one, correction. Number two, proclamation. Number three, confrontation. And number four, sanctification. Now, if I fill those out with a sentence, the name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the correction of John's disciples. Number two, The name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the proclamation of Paul. Number three, the name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the confrontation of the phony exorcists. And number four, the name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the sanctification of believers. So correction, proclamation, confrontation, sanctification, number one. The name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the correction of John's disciples. Upon Paul's arrival in Ephesus, uh, he came across what many New Testament scholars believe to be, and it seems reasonable, 12 disciples of John the Baptist. Paul asked them, verse 2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
So it seems Paul presumes they're believers, but they've been inadequately taught. And so he follows up with a question in verse 3. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. They had undergone John's baptism of repentance before the death of Christ. They, it seemed like they were living like, like the Old Testament saints. Um, let me even go to, to uh, Simeon and Anna. Remember how they rejoiced at the birth of Jesus? That they, they had hope that Messiah was going to come and that God was going to rescue his people. And, and Simeon and Anna were so excited. Remember this? When they saw the baby Jesus. I said, well, now I can die in peace. I've seen the Lord's salvation, the Messiah. Well, th- these guys apparently haven't connected Jesus with their baptism. And so here, John, at, at verse 4, Paul teaches these disciples, presumably of John, about the teaching of John the Baptist. Verse 4. Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is, here it is, the name of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, God-man, born in a manger, God in the flesh, the one who died for us. It suggests to me that they have yet to believe in Jesus Christ, not just the coming Messiah. Paul explained the gospel that Christ came and died for our sins and rose from the dead according to the scriptures to bring us to God. Jesus did this. And having believed, Paul baptized them into the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So, God is exalting the name of Jesus in this correction of these disciples of John. Now, the point here is not, as some have taught from this text, that there's a kind of a two-stage Christianity which you believe and then you need like a second blessing in order to get the Holy Spirit is not the teaching here. It's not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible in regard to the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit's ours by the promise of the new covenant. I will put my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my ways. Not a, not a two-stage deal. And the point is not about, well, Baptism comes first and then the Holy Spirit or the Spirit comes first and then the baptism because it happens both ways in Acts. It's not about order. I, I take this to be a correcting of the gospel by making sure that this essential part of the promise of God that's ours in the gospel of the new covenant, when we teach it, when we believe it, includes the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the correction 
for uh, Apollos, or excuse me, for, uh, yeah, for Apollos, and that's the correction here. The, in the gospel, God has promised to pour out his spirit upon us. Jesus promised it, the, old, the prophets promised it, it's ours. That God will put his spirit in us by the promise of the new covenant, which Christ died to establish and give us. And also, this is a con- confirmation of the apostolic gospel that Paul is preaching. So there you go. The name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by this correction of the apostles, of the disciples of John. Number two, the name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the preaching of Paul. Uh, True to Paul's pattern, shortly arriving in Ephesus, he heads to the synagogue and, according to verse 8, for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So in response to Paul's threefold proclamation, boldly speaking, reasoning and persuading, I really like those words. He, he, He talks to People, he, he, he's, he's trying to get under their skin and argue with them. What are you thinking? Well, here, here's the gospel for, for that and how you're thinking. Here's the corrective. He's boldly speaking. He's reasoning. He's persuading people in the synagogue from the scriptures. And for that threefold effort, he gets a threefold rejection. Verse 9. But when some became stubborn... And continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. Paul left the synagogue and went to speak in a non-Jewish context in the hall of Tyrannus in order to preach the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. And there, Christ was greatly exalted through the preaching of Paul such that the gospel spread far and wide. The name of Jesus throughout the region. Verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. (laughs) So, point number two, observation number two is The name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the the, uh, proclamation of the Apostle Paul. And not only in Ephesus, but throughout the region. Here's number three. The name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the confrontation of the phony exorcists. This is an interesting story. Paul's gospel proclamation was accompanied by unusual supernatural power. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. I mean, this is Luke writing. <laughs> I mean, he's written a lot of miracles in the gospel of Luke and throughout Acts. He's saying, this is extraordinary. Verse 12, 
so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. I mean, extraordinary miracles. I mean, I think of any miracle as extraordinary, but Lucas said, this is beyond ordinary. This is beyond, <laughs> I, I, I broke for words. This is, this is beyond miracle. This is super miracle. Handkerchiefs and aprons, assuming Paul had these garments and some guess that handkerchief was like a sweatband and he throws it aside and gets carried away and people are healed and delivered from demons. So why would God be at work in this extraordinary way through Paul? I mean, the clearest biblical explanation for the miracles in the book of Acts, I think, is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Here it is. Salvation was delivered at first by the Lord, by the Lord Jesus. And it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You get it? So God is underscoring, attesting to the truth of the gospel that Paul is proclaiming by putting this exclamation point on the gospel through the miracles. I was attesting to that gospel that Paul is preaching is true. Believe it. He's doing so by the miracles and wonders and signs and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. To say it another way, God did these extraordinary miracles through Paul to bear witness to Jesus, underscoring that forgiveness of sins and peace and eternal reconciliation with God is found only in Jesus. Freedom from bondage to sin and torment is found in Jesus. Healing from every kind of sickness and disease is found in Jesus. Deliverance from the power of Satan and demons and, and evil is found in the sovereign power of Jesus. And removal of the penalty of death due to our sins and, and the promise of life eternal and resurrection is found in Jesus. That's the point of the extraordinary miracles accompanying Paul's gospel proclamation. God is seeing to it that his son's name is exalted. God, remember, God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's about Jesus' name. You know, I, mean, I mean, I think we can get caught up in the extraordinary miracle and miss the point. It's not about hankies and aprons. 
It's underscoring the gospel of Jesus Christ and exalting his name. So now, since Ephesus had a reputation of pagan worship, it was not uncommon at all that the city was full of idol makers, idol sellers, spiritists, cultists, magicians, exorcists. And, and don't quickly dismiss that. I think we might read this and go, ha, that does not a problem for us. It's, it's, that would be, that would not be true. I mean, the Twin Cities are full of unanchored spiritual people. People on a quest for spiritual fulfillment or self-discovery or, or peace or truth. And, and in that, they go after all kinds of strange and, and false gospels, occult, witchcraft, spiritism, ancestral worship. Weird things with crystals and rocks. and It's all around us. It's everywhere in the Twin Cities. According to a 2020 City Vision report, which we get about every couple of years, kind of analyzing the city, exegeting the city, telling us what this, what's going on in the city in terms of faith and religion in order to equip the church for the task at hand. The City Vision report from 2020 reports that uh, there are about 127,000 people involved in cults, sex, and the occult, meeting in over 1,000 different places in the Twin Cities. He adds 4%, therefore, of the population of the Twin Cities belongs to a cult or a sect or an occult group. And then he says that in the last 25 years, worship sites for the occult or these sects have grown from 256, this is since 1996, grown from 256 to 1,001. And how about this? Just to zero in on one such group, he says that there are 175 witch covens in Minneapolis, 47 in St. Paul, and 123 scattered throughout the suburbs. And the numbers are increasing. What's the attraction to the occult, to witchery? magic stones, lucky charms, or the like. What's the attraction? Well, it, it may be more than this, but I don't think it's any less than a human desire to control our world supernaturally. An interview with one person involved in the Occult said, it's an attempt to communicate with deities or spirits 
To perform magic is to take ritual action in an attempt to impact the world around you. And uh, this person goes on. People feel particularly powerless and fed up with oppressive systems of power. With that context, looking at the current socio-political atmosphere, it's no wonder we're seeing a rise in the popularity of witchcraft in, in our media, fashion, in pop culture. In other words, I mean, it may be more than this, but I don't think it's less than... People get involved in the occult and in idolatrous pursuits, formal idolatrous pursuits, out of a desire to exert spiritual power over people and things as they deem best. It's a desire to be God. Now... In Ephesus, there was a group of traveling Jewish exorcists for hire, seven sons of Sceva, and they made their living responding to people who were or claimed to be harassed or possessed by demons. And so, in that sense, they preyed on people who were suffering. They were tormented by the demonic and, and uh, they, they came to these seven sons of Sceva for help and the seven sons took advantage of them. They took their money and did so in the false promise of deliverance from the demons a promise that they had no power to deliver on. So one day, in commanding an evil spirit to come out of a man possessed, the text says that they said, I adjure you, this is verse 13, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And the spirit replied, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? I want to add, who in the heck are you? And the demon in the man caused the man to jump on all seven of them, beat them up, such that they flee the house naked and wounded. This is quite a fight. One demon-possessed man on seven pseudo-exorcists And the demon-possessed man beats the heck out of them. And they run out of the house, not just wounded, naked, humiliated. It's not an accident. By this, God exalted the name of Jesus in the city of Ephesus. And the gospel of Christ spread. That the name of Jesus is not an incantation. It's not a magic formula. The name of Jesus is the glory of the person of Jesus 
and all the, the glory of all that he's done and promises to be for us. It is not to be trifled with. Trifled with. It, it is the, the name of Jesus is, is, is to refer to his, the glory of his power and his mercy and his majesty and his compassion and, and his soon coming awful justice and, and the marvelous grace of his saving work. It's just not to be trifled with but to be feared and to be revered. <laughs> and so, as a result of this event and God glorifying the name of Jesus by the, the uh, confrontation and humiliation of these phony exorcists, verse 17 says, and this became known, this, this event, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of Jesus was extolled. You don't mess with Jesus. That's number three. Here's number four. The name of Jesus is exalted in Ephesus by the sanctification of believers. Now, now, this display of the utter inability of the seven sons of Sceva to control the demonic spirits and even the fact that the demon denounced them and affirmed the name of Jesus and even Paul's preaching had a profound effect on the believers. Verse 18 Many of the, those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. You see why I'm saying that the name of Jesus is exalted in this fourth sense by the sanctification of believers. The believers, upon seeing the exposure of the, of the, the folly of the... Uh, of the seven sons of Sceva as worthless, the believers are going, well, we have some idolatrous beliefs too. And the event moves them to repentance. You know, when we come to Jesus in faith, there's, faith is accompanied, that faith is accompanied by a, a a repentance in which we turn away from sin and unbelief and we turn to Jesus in faith and receive him. And yet, that's not the only repentance that takes place in every believer's Christian life, but rather our lives are punctuated by a rhythm of repentance and, uh, and here it is that there's a, there's a repentance needed among these many believers in that they've got idolatrous beliefs and practices in them even though they are believing in Jesus. And Jesus is calling that out, exposing it such that verse 19 describes their repentance which came at great cost, 19. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts 
brought their books together and burned them inside of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. A very costly repentance. And all this resulted in the summary statement that I read at the beginning of uh, the sermon, verse 20. And the word of the Lord continued to spread and increase and powerfully prevail throughout the region. By showing the supremacy of God's sovereign power over the demons and over the occult and all other spirits, God exalted the name of Jesus in the city of Ephesus in the fourth sense by causing repentance in the heart of the believers. To repent of the remaining idolatrous beliefs and practices in their own lives. You know, it's no surprise, I'm, I'm closing now, it's no surprise that it's in the letter to the Ephesians that Paul writes, Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's no surprise that he writes that to Ephesus and and God brings it to us. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. The call to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 6 is God's call to us today too. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You know, I I think about takeaways from this sermon. If I just walk through the four points, may, may the name of Jesus be greatly exalted in our lives. And, and it might be, I mean, maybe you've been a Christian for years, but, but maybe there's a corrective gospel teaching that you need to hear from another believer. Kind of like the disciples of John needed to hear and Apollos needed to hear. Maybe there's a correction in your theology that's needed from the word that we would do well to be open to hear. Or maybe we need to be motivated and called by the example of Paul in his bold and persuasive speaking in the synagogue and in the hall of Tyrannus. You know, I think about, I mean, Paul didn't have a book like introduction to bringing the gospel to the, go- to the people of Ephesus, right? <laughs> he didn't have a book. He just went there and figured it out <laughs> by talking to people. Maybe, maybe your takeaway is that God, give me boldness to reason with my 
unbelieving friends and family members, if I could hear what they're thinking and, and dig into my gospel Bible knowledge and be able to speak a persuasive word from the word to them. And the third application would be perhaps God would use us. I hope God will use us to expose the vanity of the idolatry and occult in all its forms in our city. And lastly, I pray that that God would sanctify us, that God would expose whatever unbelief remains in our heart, whatever, whatever, whatever things we hope in for good apart from Christ would be exposed, brought into the light, and that we would lay them down even if it be at great cost so that God would do a sanctifying work in us. Just one, one more note on that last comment. We're not going to read the rest of Acts 19, but it's a little bit of a study of what happens when someone's idol is threatened. We're not going to go there. You can read it yourself. (laughs) A riot. People will go to all costs to fight to preserve their idol apart from the grace and power of Christ to let it go and be saved and sanctified. Father in heaven, thanks for your word. I do pray that you would exalt the name of Jesus by the power of your word among us. I pray for the spreading of the, of the name of Jesus among us and through us into our world for the joy of all peoples. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.